Welcome to Tales, Tunes, and Tomfoolery, starring Jerry Springer with Gene Galvin and me, I am Maria Corelli. We are recorded live in front of a brilliant studio audience here in Folk School Coffee Parlor of Ludlow, Kentucky. And now, ladies and gentlemen, this is Jerry Springer. Oh, wow! Oh, Sit down. Don't get up. Thank you. Well, you, you did that very well. Thanks and they had a lot of big words. <laughs> yeah. Hey, no. Yeah. Well, let, let's establish yeah, let's who that is. Yes. Uh, Maria Corelli. People around here know who. Oh, man. Who Maria Corelli is. And, th- and this is why she's enthusiastically applauded. Uh, this is going to embarrass her, but in Ludlow, Kentucky, where I live, my wife and I live here, and Maria lives in Ludlow, Kentucky, mm-hmm. everybody loves Maria, and they love her because she's just a really cool young lady. It sounds like that's from Sound of Music. Yeah, really. <laughs> or a TV show. No, no, no. She, she, everybody. And, but Maria is a songwriter, and here's why we ask her, please do this role as the third co-host of the Jerry Springer podcast. Because a third of our show is music. Yes. And we uh, partially wanted, there's a lot of reasons why we wanted Maria to do this, uh, but part of it is that she knows music from the inside. She is a songwriter. She's a performer. She performs solo. She sometimes tours with other people, correct? Mm -hmm. Uh, Several configurations. She's performed literally across the country and has performed in Mexico uh, about six months ago or so at a festival. And uh, Was the wall up yet? <laughs> not, not yet. How'd you get, how'd yet. You get back in? <laughs> so no trouble getting back and forth. Yeah. Uh, and, and then I just learned this, and she's also a rock climber, which we're going to talk about in a minute, because oh. Maria finally, I'm finally getting Jerry to say, yeah, I'll, I'll get into rock climbing. Yes. He's finally agreed to do it. No. It's taken a long time. But listen to this. In Ludlow, Kentucky, one of the coolest places on the face of this earth, is a thing, and, and I brag about Ludlow all the time, but it's, would you agree, Maria, it's going through a tremendous resurgence? Oh, yeah, definitely. So it's just a cool town. A lot of young people moving in, a yep. lot of um, young businesses, businesses yep. starting. Will Gene be forced to move out? <laughs> we hope one day. Yeah, one day, one day in a box, I'll leave. Uh, but, and the creative class is moving in, which is partially mm-hmm. why you're here. And oh, yeah. Uh, Maria is a uh, barista here sometimes at Folk School Coffee Parlor. It's funny, the first time I probably ever saw you was at a bluegrass circle, as I call it, bluegrass jam, mm-hmm. at Molly Malone's. Oh, Remember yeah. this? In Covington, Kentucky, which is a neighboring city to Ludlow. And that's an Irish bar, and they do bluegrass on Monday nights. And you just go in and get in the circle and bring whatever instrument yeah. and... The really good men and women are on the inner circle. I mean, I took my guitar in there, and I was on the second circle. But uh, and you sang a song. Man, a, I for, I totally forgot about that, Gene. And I think it's a I song that you had happened. written. Maybe I don't know if you remember what you yeah, did. Yeah, maybe. What was the song you when you were on our a podcast? You sang which which I loved. It was a. What 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 is your a oh, song? Trouble was I it think trouble? it was trouble. Yeah, I bet yeah. it was trouble. It was a. It, I introduced it probably as like the feeling you yeah. get when you turn the news on. Yeah. You know? Yep. Kind of that feeling of yeah. doom. 
Yeah. So that song's about. <laughs> and I saw yeah. Maria in this bluegrass gathering. And uh, for those of you who are listening and not watching, we are on Facebook Live. Let's all wave to the camera there, Facebook Live audience. <laughs> but Maria is uh, a petite person. So when I looked in this circle and I saw this kid <laughs> from the back that looked like she was about 16 and just got up and sang this song, I was impressed. I was impressed because you looked Because petite young people and, aren't supposed to be able to nah. sing. No. <laughs> well, she, that's a fair point. But she yeah. belted out this Let's song. Let's bring out our next fat singer. <laughs> <laughs> but she belted out this song with great authority. You could never end an opera. <laughs> no. Oh, that's true. Anyway, we're very excited to have Maria. And Maria, I think somewhere here is the belt, but Maria won <laughs> this thing in Ludlow, Kentucky called Pickin' a Fight. And this whole thing was uh, developed by uh, Stephen J. Williams, Yeah. right? Who is another folk singer who lives in Ludlow. Another musician, yeah. Came in from Alabama, as I recall. Mm -hmm. And so Casey came up with this idea based on, he's an old basketball player. I don't know if you know that, but he was a very prominent high school and I think even got a scholarship in college to play basketball. So he's like a March Madness guy. Hmm. He gets March Madness. He came up with this thing called Picking a Fight and he laid it out with a bracket that looks like the NCAA tournament. And it's all these artists from this region and Maria was in it and won it. Yeah. Good job. Whoa. Thank you. That's a lot of, lot of people. What, 24 artists? Yeah, it was... Singer-songwriters, right? Oh, my gosh. It was a huge, a huge compliment to... Bob Dylan, you bitch? <laughs> <laughs> Is Jerry Springer on there? Yeah, yeah. well, he should oh, be yeah. there, too. GCD7, that's it. <laughs> yeah. And you won, like, a guitar? A and guitar. a bunch of money? Yeah, we, I won a setup of my already existing guitar, and then... Um, yeah. Couple certificates for like a hundred dollar gift certificate to the Ludlow Tavern, which is the Very popular, Very popular kind of watering hole down here, and yeah. uh, and then we've got a thousand dollars. That's is amazing. Really, and for a singer songwriter, that's a lot of dough, isn't it? That's a lot of money to me. Yeah, it's, I, a, it's a tip it, to Jerry. It's a tip. <laughs> it's a tip. Amazing. All right. Now, one last thing, Maria Corelli. You are, I know this because we chat plenty because I come into folk school all the time, and you have, as a recreation over the recent years, uh, become a rock climber. Mm -hmm. Yes. And uh, I have been beseeching Jerry hard to go outside and do something remarkable. <laughs> and I finally, If I go Maria, outside, that's remarkable. <laughs> <laughs> after I told him about this, paraplegic yeah. woman climber who climbed El Capitan two yeah. weeks ago. That was amazing. I was there when she came to the top, and they brought her out on a rolling stretcher on a trail eight miles wow. long to get back to where you there were, were vehicles. You were standing there while was she there. was. Wow. Yeah. I was there. That's amazing. And uh, that is finally what did it, where Jerry said to me, I will do it. I will okay. climb El Capitan. <laughs> okay. Tell me. He said Th that. This will do it. Name five Jewish rock climbers. <laughs> About one. Well, there's going to be... One. You are going to be... No, we don't do that. You're going to be Rabbi Jerry, no. the climber. But he said no. he will climb, and he's going to need help from the guy, the team that helped her get up, this woman climber. But 
you climb. You and I and Jerry, this is going to happen. We are going probably, we might go over to Eden Park in Cincinnati and oh, climb yeah. on that wall. That's a good training wall, isn't it? <laughs> it's it's great. You mean you don't want to start hey, call out? Call my agent. You don't want to start out in Yosemite? <laughs> no. At El Capitan? No. Because that's like 3,500 <laughs> feet. And so we're going to go to Eden Park, and then we're probably then going to go down to Red River Gorge in Kentucky. And Jerry is going to rock climb. He's going to need the gear. But you know the gear. I mean, oh, yeah. We'll get you set up, Jerry. And an extra pair of Depends? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's I'm too. not going. To, so I, I, I this, don't go in fast elevators. There's no way I'm going to. This is going to happen. Sir. I'm really no, excited that's about just, it. That's just stupid. <laughs> hey, one last what? Last question yeah. to you, Maria. Oh, yeah, we should say, by the way, that she's taking Megan's point. Yeah, Megan, yeah. and we, in our last episode... How quickly episode, we forget. No, 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 no. We love Megan Hills, and Maria knows Megan, too, mm. and uh, same situation. Megan's very, job took her away from this. Right. Megan is an HR professional and uh, took a job with a company, a major company that moved into the greater Cincinnati area and is doing HR work on a shift actually, that conflicts with the hours of when we do this show. So uh, anyway, in an upcoming performance, Maria, that mm -hmm. you're going to do somewhere, might even be at the Ludlow Tavern or something, you will, won't, won't you, bring Jerry up and have him oh, do a song? I would love to have you up. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> I'm supposed to have say that. Would? It's written here in my yeah. script. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm yeah. say that. Yeah. No, yeah. Except, except when it's closing time. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Oh, good night, everybody. And, and I sing, and they get out and hurry. What do you think about that, Jerry? Sing. Is it singing? Yes. Yeah, sing you would do that. Oh, I know one song. Now. You yeah. know what's pathetic is when... Oh, a lot of things are pathetic, <laughs> yeah. but go ahead. No, every once in a while, you know, as, as I'm traveling around, I'll meet someone who was is from the Cincinnati area and said, I knew you 30, 40 years ago. You used to come by and sing with the menus, you know, at a local bar here in town. And that menus, a great yeah. local band. Yes, yes. Still performing. Yeah, and, and, saying, and I say, uh, yeah, Blowing in the Wind. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> it's the only song I know. Speaking of Blowing in the Wind, Sunday night, Mickey and I went to see Dylan, Bob Dylan. You did? Honestly, it was... Oh, man. Like in Sarasota? Or? Yes. He, came, wow. he, he was on tour, and we saw him Sunday night. Hmm. I mean, That's he's 77 now. Wow. And just what a presence. And he just... Wow. He is so authentic because he... I've never been to a concert where he didn't once talk to the audience. Huh. He just... He's Bob Dylan. He comes out. He does his songs. At the very end, he moved to center stage and went, turned around, and, that's and walked off. Wow. He's just, you, you can't break him. You know, it's just, and then, oh, the songs were great and everything. And he, he's just, yeah, I mean, it's you know, it, once in a, your lifetime. And, of course, it's people of our generation, what he meant to us. But, you know, and so then we went home and got out all the old CDs where he's singing with Joan Baez or whatever mm -hmm. and... Yeah, man, the, the poet. Well, didn't he just win the Nobel Prize for Literature? Yeah, yeah. He has. So anyway, it's not important. You know, you meant, and I mentioned this yeah. on another podcast, but when he first started his first tour, his first tour, 1960-something, 60 maybe, he came to Cincinnati and I went. You want to know something? He did exactly what you just said. He walked out to the center stage. It was a place called the Taft Theater in Cincinnati. Yeah. 
He sang a long set. Yes. He did a long yeah, he had a, two he had an opening set. act. Did a long set. He didn't say one word. And wow. when he was done, he took a bow and he walked out. That's pretty wild. It's all yeah. his art, Maria. Yeah. It's yeah. all focused yeah. on his art. He's now, not a he's not a talker. And I get go ahead. Well, didn't both of you, Gene and Jerry, didn't you guys used to sing folk music back in the day too? We did. In yeah, a band? We did. Were you in a band no, together? No. Was no. that okay? No. No. No, but um, we were two big egos. You know how it works. Yeah, you know, you're, you're, <laughs> yeah I had my own band. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. No, but I gave Bob Dylan a key to the city, and I have that oh. picture. Well, did you when when you saw him the and other I night? And I after every song, I'd say, "Remember the key." Remember. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you made no contact with him. You didn't None. like suck up with the uh, no. staff there to say, "Let me go backstage." No, 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 no. You don't it, with Dylan. You really don't do it. Probably it's too not. intimidating. I mean, he's Bob Dylan. You don't say, "Can I see him backstage?" Yeah. You know, we just. I can't take rejection. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't that's take pretty, that. That's pretty, that's actually uh, very cool. Who's that? Yeah, I'm getting out of here, kid. Uh, by the way, we oh, have coming up uh, Michael Jonathan. We're real excited. Whoa, Michael. About that. And uh, Maria's going to talk about that more in a bit, but uh, Michael Jonathan has been on our show another time before this, and he's a very significant folk singer in the country, and uh, we're excited that he has come back. Uh, wanted to ask you a question, Jerry. With Judge Kavanaugh, with his big controversial appointment to the Supreme Court, all that, all that smoke and fire that was raging a week or two ago, that's over because he's now a sitting justice. Is the controversy in the federal court context over, do you think? Uh, no, it's not at all. And the one, well, the first reason, the more public reason why it's not over is, uh, and I blame the Democrats for this, they wanted to get home to campaign. So they wanted to get a recess. And the Congress is now in recess. And the price for getting home to campaign would, was that the Republicans would get to make, I think, six or eight more appointments to the federal courts. And they're stocking up our federal court system with right-wing judges. That was kind of public knowledge, and we kind of known this is going on. But then I saw this article, which I find frightening. There was an article in the paper, a small article, that said there is a training academy for a select group of law school grads from top law schools who secured prestigious clerkships for federal judges. Now, understand if you don't follow the courts much or whatever, if you get to be a clerk for a federal judge, that's about as high as you can go coming out of law school. And future judge, federal judges are often people that started out as clerks, including most of the people that are on the Supreme Court now, where at some point in their career, um, federal clerks. So these are very bright people. But here's something about this training academy. It's a secret Academy, and no one was supposed to know about it. You get selected for this training academy. It is run by the Federalist Society, 
and the Heritage Foundation. These are two organizations whose very reason of existence is to shift America to the right, and particularly our court system, to fill it up with very conservative, in some cases right-wing judges. And they have been doing this since the early 1980s. In fact, when they prepare a list, which Republican presidents go to in choosing a nominee for the Supreme Court. They submit the list. These are the people that we approve. Choose one of them to be the next justice. And that's why we wind up with the kind of right-wing justices we have on the court. This academy, though, that indoctrinates these clerks it's, it's kind of dangerous. And the reason that it's dangerous is that the clerks, in most cases, are the ones who draft the opinions of the judges. There are a few judges that will write the opinion themselves, but usually the clerk gives at least the first draft, and then the judge takes a look at it, maybe edits, edits it, changes a little bit of it, but the influence that a clerk has on a federal judge is amazing. Now, these clerks, as I said, graduate from this academy, and the academy, to get into it, one, you have to have academic credentials, and two, you fill out an application, and part of that application, you have to explain in it, because they got a copy of the form, of what your opinion of originalism is. That is the doctrine where the Constitution is to be interpreted according to what the initial drafters of the Constitution 240 years ago, what they intended at the time. Somehow you're supposed to figure out what was their original intent, and that's how you have to define the Constitution. If you answer that correctly, and then you have to swear secrecy, swear loyalty, no one can find out about this, someone obviously leaked it, and these are the people that are getting the clerkships. This is important because not only do the clerks write the opinions that we get, but I would argue the entire concept of original intent with all due respect to the brilliant mind of uh, uh, Justice Scalia, who passed away a couple of years ago, and who was, you know, a, a great supporter of this theory, I would argue it makes no sense. There is no way, it is purely subjective to come up with a conclusion to what our founding fathers, what they intended when they wrote the Constitution. There is no way to know 240 years later I don't care how many letters of them you find and you read or whatever the, the minutes were of the Constitutional Convention. And here's the most logical reason why you can't figure out what the intent was. There were 55 delegates at the Constitutional Convention. 39 of them actually in the end signed it. Well, that's 55 different opinions. People signed the Constitution and they might have each have had different intentions for why they did it or how they wanted to interpret it. It's not one person. Even if you could figure out what one person was thinking 240 years ago, how do you figure out what 
55, and it's often not together. And the most obvious example is the Second Amendment. You know, the, the right to bear arms. But the clause, the amendment starts out by saying, in order to form a militia. So does that mean that you're allowed to bear arms just for a militia? Or does it, or was that clause insignificant and that was just one of the reasons why you would want to permit people to bear arms? In other words, there's no way to know. So anyone who says, well, I'm reaching this decision, this Supreme Court opinion, this is my opinion because I'm basing it on what our forefathers intended, that's garbage. God's truth is they start out knowing exactly what decision they want to make and then they do research to figure out if they can come up with an argument to support the decision they wanted in the first place. Which is why, for example, the conservative judges, justices always vote conservative and the liberal justices always vote liberal. It's, it's a sham. It, it's also a theory that should have no support because how does the world 240 years ago have any relevance to what's going on today? I mean, on the, back then you may have been talking about guns, but back then they didn't have a weapon that could blow up the world. They didn't have someone with his finger on the button that could just, you know, end civilization. Back then they didn't have cell phones where privacy could be invaded easily. They didn't have phones. They didn't have electricity. Why are we going to what these people intended back then to get their opinion or what their intention was for a world that they had no conception existed? It's purely, purely subjective. And then the court's supposed to be nonpartisan. If you remember a few years ago when John Roberts was confirmed to be the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, he said, no, he's not partisan. He says he views his position as like an umpire. He calls balls and strikes. He doesn't have a position. He just calls them as he sees them. Well, the Supreme Court is totally partisan. And what is happening now with how, they're, how the Republicans now are trying to cram in their conservative justices, how this training academy is used to secretly why, if they're not doing something that's underhanded, if they're not doing anything which subverts our form of government, why are the people that go to this academy, the clerks of the Supreme Court, the clerks of our federal judges, just, uh, judges and justices, why are they sworn to secrecy? Why is the list of donors to the academy secret? Why did we just find out about this, which has been going on for years, because someone broke the loyalty oath and, and leaked it? They are undermining our judicial system, which is the point that I ultimately want to make. I have said on various podcasts over the last several years that you know our forefathers had a brilliant idea creating a government which would give us protection against the king. We would have three branches of government that, you know, executive, legislative, and judicial, and each would be balanced against the other two. That would be how we do it. Well, I'm sad to report that we don't have three branches of government anymore, that what we were teaching our kids in school isn't now accurate anymore. 
we're down to two branches of government. The judicial system has now become, our courts have become simply a weapon to be used by those who are in power. They say, the conservatives will tell you, that they don't want a court that is activist. Well, the decision they make in, um, in um, Citizens United, is that not activist? You know, and the decision to try and, or, or the fear now that they'll overturn Roe versus Wade, is that not activist to do that? They'll say, well, you guys had Brown versus Board of Education. That's not activist. That's defensive. You see, the, the other two branches of government are based on the vote of the people. Supposedly, the person that gets the most votes gets that office. Generally, that's the case. Obviously, not in the last election, but generally, that's the case. The person who gets the most votes, whether it's Congress, whether it's your state government, whatever it is, the person who gets the most votes is in as president and as Congress and in the Senate. So those two branches of government represent the majority or most of the people who are voting. It is the courts, the judicial system, that was to protect minorities. The whole concept of the Bill of Rights is to protect the individual against the power of the state, against the power of the majority. The reason you have the Bill of Rights is you could be the only person in America, <coughs> excuse me, that believes in God a certain way, and this Constitution protects you. So it's not based on a majority vote. So the only defense, that's why Brown versus Board of Education was important. If it was left up to the vote of the people, you think the American people in 1954 would have voted for integration in our schools? Are you kidding? It wasn't even close. Not just people in the South, people in the North. These issues would never pass. Do you think America would have voted 10 years ago for gay marriage? If you wait for a majority opinion, it's not going to happen. Only the courts are there to recognize and defend the Constitution against the power of the state, against individual people. That was the whole purpose of having America, to get away from a king, to get away from authoritarian government. And if the Supreme Court doesn't do that, defend the rights of individuals against the power of the state, then there's no purpose to the court anymore. And that's what the Republicans are doing now, trying to tell us, oh, we're, we're trying to protect us against an activist court. No, a defensive court. And these justices are not doing their job when all they're doing is supporting the powerful, whether it's Citizen United or whatever the cases are, instead of saying our job here is to protect the Constitution, which is written to protect individual rights against the power of the state. So now we're down to two branches of our government. The only way we can protect ourselves, hopefully, is this November, to start changing it back. You want to have a judicial system, it's not going to happen just by watching what's happening. We got to get out there, and as I always say, we got to vote.
All right, ladies and gentlemen, I have the complete honor uh, for my first time as the co-host. On Don't the blow it. <laughs> Shh, Jerry, I'm doing my thing. <laughs> yeah, I'm extremely excited to invite our artist um, musician on the podcast tonight. We've had him before, as Gene said, Michael Jonathan. Um, he is an extremely accomplished artist. We... Uh, as a few of you uh, may already know, he is the founder and producer of Wood Songs, Old Time Radio Hour down in Lexington, Kentucky. Um, and also the uh, he has created 16 albums, published four books. He is a musician, a playwright, a bunch of um, incredible feats. So let's give a warm welcome to Michael Jonathan. I wanted to uh, ask you a quick question. I um, in some of the research that I congratulations did. on your award. Oh, thank you. By the way, it means a lot coming from you. And I, I not to, not to be all anti Dylan here by saying anything, but um, Jesus brought twelve disciples and climbed a bunch of rocks to give the Sermon on the Mount. So somebody owes me eight Jewish rock climbers. Aye. <laughs> <laughs> We got one I, here. I don't know how to tell you that, but I, I think we've paid our debt. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what do you got? <laughs> don't challenge me, Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> you want me to just sing a song here? Yeah. Okay. Please do. There's something very wrong with this world Something so wrong with this world There's an air of discontent I've never seen before What's wrong with all these people? Why can't they get along? There's something wrong with this world There's something very strange going on There's something so strange going on Man, I sense a lot of danger From people I don't know Dark clouds of anger Wherever now you go There's something strange going on Well, it wasn't very long ago It wasn't so long ago People knew their neighbors And they watched each other's homes Neighbors are now strangers We don't want to know But it wasn't so long ago And I believe that people need all the love and hope that comes with peace. But now that dream seems so out of reach, 
there's something wrong sunrise coming our way a sunrise heading our way for I believe that evil is not here to stay love and human kindness is a much better way there's a sunrise coming our way like a paradise heading our way phenomenal thank you michael we really appreciate it yeah, i saw you playing that harmonica <laughs> Dylan. <laughs> Couldn't help it. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Um, Michael, we, for all of our listeners out here in, in, at the folk school and those of you who are joining us um, through any earbuds or at home, would you let us know where we can find any more of your music or um, ac have access to Wood Songs? Sure. You can, <laughs> for uh, the show, you can go to woodsongs.com. And for my own stuff, if you can spell my name right, it's michaeljonathan.com. <laughs> if you want to become a song farmer and build a front porch around the world with us, go to songfarmers.org. And other than that, I am very, very honored to uh, be invited back. Uh, Jerry, I think you're a brilliant guy, and uh, congratulations on a wonderful podcast. Thank you. Thank you. You're still not getting paid. <laughs> There's a reason folk rhymes with broke. I, I'm, yeah. used I'm used to it. <laughs> Will you do us a huge favor and, sure. and lead us out on Down by the River? Sure. Lay down my heavy load Down by the riverside Down by the riverside by the river I'm gonna lay down my heavy load down by the riverside I'm gonna study war no You've been listening to Tales, Tunes, and Tom Fullery recorded live at the Folk School Coffee Parlor in Ludlow, Kentucky Thanks to Patrick Kennedy for writing our opening song and to you for listening Check out our website at jerryspringer.com Down by the riverside.
Down by the riverside, down by the riverside, I'm gonna lay down my sword and shield. Down by the riverside, down by the Yeah.